Now it's my privilege to introduce Pastor Steve Cooper. He is from Pennsylvania. Some of you have probably seen him here before. He's, uh, we're very blessed to have him. And he is coming forward with a message on being thankful and applying it to our lives because it's so important spiritually. Not only is it just good manners, but it's also uh, imperative for our spiritual walk. So thank you, Pastor. Yes, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Any Steeler fans out there? Yeah, the Steeler Nation is weak here this morning. <laughs> yeah, I always uh, like to remember that the Steelers played the Vikings in a Super Bowl. Do you remember who won? The Steelers. Fran Tarkington. Some of you remember him? Well, he didn't play that well that day. I'm hoping for another rematch. Pastor and I would have a good time if his Vikings were playing and the Steelers were playing too. You know Pittsburghese, don't you, Ewans? I hope so, yeah. Some of you didn't get that, but that's a, uh, a great thing to be from Pittsburgh. But it's even greater in the winter to be from Anglewood. Praise God. We're going to look in God's Word today. Thanksgiving. Now, I know we've just celebrated Thanksgiving, but that's just the beginning. We have to live in thanks of what the Lord has done for us every day that we live. And so it's the same passage that the pastor spoke on last week. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Notice it says, in everything. You never have trouble giving God thanks for good things. But can you thank Him when things aren't so good? I was at a Wednesday night prayer meeting. Uh, had a little pain in my left leg, you know, just kind of limping around. I thought, I sprained, you know, I was uh, uh, whacking grass with a weed eater. I thought, well, you know, I'll be okay. But one of the ladies in the church stopped me on the way out, and she said, you need to have your leg looked at. The same thing happened to me a few years back, and when I went to the hospital to have it checked, it was um, a blood clot. Well, that, you know, I just figure it's a morning. <laughs> I'm going to go to the hospital and have it checked out. Sure enough, when I did, the pain in my leg was a blood clot. Not only did they... Um, not let me go home. They sent me up to the emergency room. They put a, what are those things that shock you? Defibrillator right at the bedside. And they said, don't you move. So I listened. <laughs> Didn't move around too much. They did a chest x-ray and the blood clots had come up into my lungs. That's called uh, pulmonary something. You know, better than me. <laughs> it's not a good thing. They, they just uh, begin to introduce heparin into your system, then uh, Coumadin, which I'm still on today. That's a blood thinner. And uh, it began to wash away the blood clot after six months. It took that long for it to go out of my lungs. I couldn't walk very far. I would have never made it onto the stage today when those blood clots were still there. Um, there's still an evidence of that. Even on a, when I have a lung x-ray done, they'll see the scar tissue from where the blood clots were. 
And do you know, even though it was something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, I was thankful someone told me and that God urged me to go and have it checked so that I'm here today with you. Well, I could go on and on about all the things that are wrong with me, but you don't want to hear that. <laughs> things that God just does, and you wonder why. You know, why has this happened to me? Why do I have this and that wrong with me? And it's because the bodies that we have are not meant to live forever. We're going to be given a new body. I mean, we should be excited about that. It's a body that's younger than I look right now. I remember when I didn't have this kind of neck. I was almost afraid to go out at Thanksgiving. <laughs> I was just 135 pounds when I graduated from uh, high school. Um, I weigh more than that now. In fact, the... Uh, I was doing great in the summer. The scales had me weighing at 205. That was only a little bit too heavy. But after three months or so, a longer, my, I couldn't get my pants up right. And then my wife informed me that the scales were broken. Well, the battery worked. What could it be? It's one of those little feet underneath there. And when you stood on it, it wasn't level, and you could make yourself weigh pretty light. At any rate, we're to give thanks to God in all things, whether it's good or bad, because God has the power to make everything in our lives work out for our good. Romans 8:28. Do you believe that this morning? Everything is going to work together for your good if you love God. Do you love God this morning? You're safe. Will you be a worker? Will you work towards the calling He's put in your life? That means that you have a heart for evangelism. That's our calling, to see people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I like what Billy Graham said, evangelize and sometimes use words. Our lifestyle should preach something, should tell something. Our attitude on a daily basis before the Lord should be something that is overwhelmingly Christian. So that if you're around a person who loves God very long, you will know it. Because your witness will prove it. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God for you. We're going to go on and look at a passage sometimes it isn't clear what uh, the Lord means when He, you know, we want to do the will of God, but what is the will of God? Some, sometimes we just don't know. If you're going to get married, you, you want to know what the will of God is. Is this the right person for me? Well, you have to look into God's Word. You have to trust in what God says. And one of the things you'll find out right away in the very first chapter of the Bible is that when God made Adam and gave him a mate, it wasn't Larry. It was Eve. So you eliminate half the competition right there. 
You can be absolutely sure that God wants you to marry the opposite sex, that marriage is between a man and a woman. Can I get a witness out there today? Do you believe that? Unapologetically, it's the truth. That's what we know is the truth. And I know we live in a world that doesn't want to accept those things today. But you can't contradict the Word of God and be prosperous. And so we need to stand for what we know to be the truth. You can't marry a person who's an unbeliever if you're a believer. It's forbidden in the Bible. That means you need a church-going person. My wife came into church one day. I wasn't married to her yet. (laughs) But she came into the church, and there she was. And it was love at first sight for me. I was kind of thought she's the one. But the more I got to know her, the more I was absolutely certain she was the one. She was an outstanding Christian. She loved the Lord. She told me later I wanted to marry somebody that would be a preacher of the Word of God. That's me. So you can be sure if you're looking, if you're wanting to obey the Lord, that you'll know the person that you're going to marry is a Christian. The fruits of the Spirit will be in their life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. There's all those things that will show up in their life, the way they live, their lifestyle. And you might say, well, I don't have all those things in my life. Well, then you're not ready to get married. You need to grow up in the Lord so that you can be a benefit to the person that you marry spiritually. Just wait a while and grow up in Christ. You can know the will of God. Give thanks, the Scriptures say. And that's what we want to do. Because if you're giving thanks, you're not griping. If you're griping, you're not giving thanks. So we want to be those people who are not negative, but positive in our outlook. We live in a generation of ingratitude. Here's a passage that Paul wrote to Timothy. It kind of gives you a, a list of those things. Notice, unthankful is there. This also know that in the last days, perilous times will come. This was written to Timothy over 2,000 years ago, but they're talking about last days then, because in the Scripture, any time after the resurrection of Christ is considered last days. How much more are we living in those days now? Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Now the list goes on. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that's an unusual word, But it means the lack of control, especially in the area of appetite, which is my problem, passion, those things out of control. I'm going to get things under control right after the holidays. (laughs) You ever notice how, (laughs) how the holidays run together? Thanksgiving, and then we're just, everybody's saying Merry Christmas already. I'm seeing lights up all over the community. There are 12 days of Christmas. Almost every one of them involves food. 
And then New Year's runs right into that. (laughs) And then before you even blink, it's Easter. Celebration. Candy and eggs and all those good things that aren't any good for you. And then you've got Memorial Day. And then the 4th of July. This year it fell in the middle so you could celebrate the weekend before and the weekend after and the day of the 4th of July. What's that do to your diet? (laughs) And then you come right along. Labor Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas. It's a vicious cycle. Sometime along the way, you have to get serious about the body that God has given you. In the Scriptures, for 40 days, or for 40 years in the Scripture, uh, the Jews were given manna from heaven. You remember that? It was like an unbelievable thing. It would rain down. It would be with the, the dew, it says, in the morning. It was called a coriander seed. When you cooked it up, it had a flavor of... Uh, oil and honey, and it would do this for six days, and the seventh day, it didn't happen. If you tried to gather too much any other day, it would go bad on you, except on the sixth day. You could gather twice as much, and then it would last for you if you wanted to eat on the seventh day. But I just believe maybe God didn't want us to eat on the seventh day. Maybe fasting is the way to control your body. Maybe taking time to be with the Lord will give you the strength to do what He wants you to do. Maybe the focus needs to be upon the Lord rather than on a diet plan. Maybe that's why we fail so much. And then you have the 21-day fast that Daniel went on. He didn't eat any meat. He didn't have any sweets. He just ate vegetables and drank water. Wouldn't that be a good thing for us for a while? 21 days focusing upon the Lord. Daniel wanted to know the interpretation of the dream, so he had to be there with the Lord and talk with Him and and, and mourn after God so that God would send the angel, which He sent right away, but it took 21 days for the angel to get there. It was 21 days of fasting for Daniel. A little fasting might do the church good, God says, when I leave, he says, his son says to his disciples, you will fast. So um, as much as we don't like the thought, perhaps, of fasting, maybe it's because we need to concentrate more upon the good things of the Lord. I got sidetracked there, sorry. Fierce despisers of those that aren't good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. These things shouldn't be in the life of a Christian. There's coming a day, I'm telling you right now, when none of these things will define the church of God. God is going to purify the church in such a way that our fallen nature will not have control of us anymore. We will be the servants of God inside and out. Well, for now, it's the norm, I guess, in gratitude. But we want to be those who are praisers and givers of thanks. In our lives, we want to praise God. We want to praise Him at home. So you have family devotions. That's when you and your wife, if your kids are gone, you and your wife get together every day and you have devotions. 
If your children are there, you involve them too. Because the man is pastor of his house. And his congregation, first of all, is his wife and children. And my wife's a good pastor too. (laughs) I mean, she's all the time, you know, telling me things that I should think about and do. And I do a message and she corrects it for me. Takes care of, you know, all the things that I didn't have quite right. Then Roger finishes it up. So praise the Lord for that. At home, we want to be praisers and thankers. At school and at work, again, evangelization. Thinking about how you could talk to someone about their need for the Lord. When you win a game in school, you thank the Lord. You thank the Lord before you go to pray, to play. That's in prayer. And you thank the Lord afterwards if you've had the victory or if He's teaching you something because you didn't have the victory. At work and at school, there should be a, an atmosphere that your life will create because you are a child of God. And then in your neighborhood, just like the pastor's been saying over the last few weeks, confound your neighbors with thank yous. Thank you all the time. Thank you for the things that they do for you. Thank you from your lips is an expression of your love for your neighbor. So um, this is a good saying. I like this. Whether you're with somebody or by yourself, be thankful. Is that pretty much all the time? Yes. And so that's the kind of people that we want to be. This message originated because I saw something, don't even remember where it was right now, but it was a question that made me dwell on it a while. And here's the question. What if when you woke up in the morning, you only had what you thank God for today? Now, I want you in your mind to make a list. This is what I did when I was going to answer that question. I started thanking the Lord for the house He gave me. I started thanking the Lord for the car I drive, for the lawnmower I can ride on and not push, for money in my bank account, and the list went on and on. What what would you put on yours? Things that you know that you're thankful for, that you wouldn't have tomorrow if you didn't give thanks today. But those are just material things. There are things more important than that. What about the non-material? What about people, relatives, loved ones, your wife, your children, uh, your mother, your father, brothers, sisters, all those? What about your pastor? Don't you love Pastor Clark? I mean... I love that man. Thank God for him. Thank God for the ministry. Thank God for your church. It's not a building. It's all the people that are here. Thank God for them. These are all the things that matter so much. But isn't it silly to think that we could lose everything overnight? Not if you read the Bible. If you read the Bible, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you been? Satan answered from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. 
He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything that he has? You have so blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds spread throughout the land. But now stretch forth your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12 says, The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Almost overnight, Job lost everything. Marauders came in, stole his sheep, cattle, livestock, killed his servants, only one escapes and brings back the report. Another comes after he's lost all of his possessions. Your children also died. The house fell in on them. And I'm the only one that escaped. After this, Job tore his clothes and shaved his head, fell on the ground and said, Naked I came into the world, naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. Notice the last words. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job is thanking God. Job is praising God, even though he's lost everything that he had. You know, that wasn't the end of Job's testing. Satan comes back around and says, you know, if you let me touch his body, if you let me afflict his body, surely he'll curse you. So the next scene is Job covered with boils from hand to foot. Top of his head to the bottom of his feet, rather, covered with boils, so much so that he goes out on an old garbage pile and he's scraping his boils with a stone. The scene's pretty graphic, but the result is the same. Job would not curse the Lord. Job believed in God because God has the power to take away and to give. And our love is not with the things He gives us. It's with the person who gives them. What if you lived in Paradise, California, or in the hills of Malamuda Beach? Malibu Beach is just a beautiful place. We traveled through there one year on vacation. Stayed up in the hill country. It's just gorgeous. Not all the rich people you would think live there, but lots of poor people. Lots of people in trailer parks and so on. These people lost everything overnight. When it shows the picture of people trying to drive out of paradise, it shows the flames on each side and the the smoke coming rushing over. They could hardly see to, to get out of there, and some cars didn't make it. People, some of them lost everything and just escaped with their lives. Satan hasn't changed. We need to be thankful and believe God's Word. My children are high on the thank list that I have when I went over the list. Just backtracking a little bit, if Satan hasn't changed, then that means he still 
is condemning Christians. He's still up to his old tricks. And God sometimes will allow him to give affliction to test us and see if we really love God or only the things he has given us. God has promises in his word concerning our children. This is where my thankfulness got hung up because I was thanking God for my children. I decided that that's probably the most uh, precious thing that God has given my wife and I, our children. We don't want our children to be lost. We want our children to be in heaven with us. Not only our children, I want my, my, my family, my whole family, all my relatives to be in heaven with me. I want my friends, everyone I've ever met, everyone I've ever got to know, I want them there in heaven with me. I don't want any of the circle to be broken. But all that, that God has given me to be there with me in heaven. Children are the heritage from the Lord, the offspring, a reward from Him. We need to thank God every day for our children. My son is 37. My daughter, middle daughter, middle child is 35. And our youngest is 33. But they are our kids. My mother will be 89. But when I go to see her on the weekends when I'm back, in Pennsylvania, I'm her boy. I like that. Our children need to be that precious to us that we pray for them every day and we want God's best for them. These are a list of 65 promises. I'm not going to give them all to you today. I'll just give a few. But it's uh, promises that our families are These promises are from God for our families. My children are an inheritance from God. Nothing else you have carries your DNA. That DNA is different from anyone else's in the universe, but there are similarities that collect your family. So how precious is that? My children are part of the fruit I bear in life. These are promises from God. My children are a reward from God. Probably the greatest reward. My children are a blessing. My children are in the hands of God. How many of you believe that today? Your children are in the hands of God. God has control on their lives. And they may not be everything you want them to be yet, but God is not done with them. My children will fulfill their destiny. My children will be used by God to change the world. This is a promise that God gives in His Word concerning our children. And aren't you glad for this promise? My children and I are building a relationship with permanent value. That's because we're going to be in heaven together. Thanks living. That's what we're talking about. Thank you, Lord, for your promises concerning our children especially. But promises are not always fulfilled immediately. I'll give you some examples. 
We must uh, earnestly contend for the faith over a period of time. Here's the Jude 3 passage. Beloved, when I gave when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We must be ready to fight the good fight of faith. I had this dream. And the only reason I'm going to tell you this is because I never had anything like this before. It was one of these warm nights. You know how warm it is down here in Florida in the evening. You used to get out and take a little stroll. I was strolling down through the street near a town, and then I was surrounded by a bunch of, I would have to say, hoodlums. They wanted my money, but I didn't have any money. And they closed in even closer, and I said, you're not going to hit an old man, are you? I, I, I take blood thinner. If you beat me up, I'll probably die. They didn't care. <laughs> and suddenly something came over me. I, I called a Samson moment. I reached down and grabbed a hold of the one guy, and I twisted his arm like this. You know, some way you can get somebody like this, and they can't get away. And the rest of them started piling around. This is in my dream. I'm spinning this guy in circles, knocking people over as I go around, just whipping and having a great time with one hand, <laughs> holding the mic with the other. I... I Something happened, and the one guy I threw down hit my leg right down here. Actually, it was on this side over here. And instantly, I had a Charlie horse. And instantly, I woke up from the dream with the Charlie horse. It was a 3D dream. <laughs> I was really in it, I think. <laughs> But sometimes you'll have to contend for the faith. Sometimes you'll have to fight for what you believe. What you believe. Fight the good fight. Lay hold of eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. And Hebrews 11.33 says this, It's through faith that promises are obtained. We have to believe that the promises of God are real. That what He says he will do. And when we begin to believe that, even before it's happened, that is faith. We couldn't put our hands into the side of Jesus like Thomas had to. But Jesus says, for all those who will never see me, but still believe, there's a special grace upon them, a special reward. Noah waited 120 years. He was ridiculed and rejected for his promise to come to pass because it's through faith that promises are obtained, but the promises don't need to come right away according to the Word of God. How would you like to labor 120 years? If you get a chance to go to Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati, and see the ark, you need to do that. It's a massive structure built similarly to the uh, dimensions that Noah was given. It has layers to it. With How many have been there? Have you been to the ark? 
Alrighty, you know what I'm talking about. Layers where uh, the animals were, and they had a section where the food, you had to have food for the animals. And all the things that went on in that ark are shown there so clearly. Then you take just a little trip away and go to Creation Museum. You will never leave there ever believing in evolution again. You will know for absolute certainty that God created the heavens and the earth. That's a good trip. Praise the Lord. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for their promises. They watched their aging bodies deteriorate. Sarah said, I can never have a child. But in God's perfect timing, she did have Isaac, just like God promised her it would be. Joseph waited 13 years for his dreams to come to pass. He endured so many hardships, it's just unbelievable. When you look at the life of Joseph, he's one of the few persons in the Scripture God has nothing negative to say against. He was a good man. But he went through all kinds of issues. Waiting patiently does not mean doing nothing. God demands that we not be lazy, that we wait upon the Lord. That means we're trusting God to do what He says, Psalms 27:14. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him, Psalms 37:7. Wait for the Lord, all my soul waits, and in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning, Psalms 135 and 6. And finally, my favorite in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You are busy believing, trusting, praying, waiting for God to do what He says that He will do. And finally this, our children are gifts of God. While you're waiting for God to take them to the place they need to be, love them and enjoy them. That's so important, to be with your children. If I had my children to raise over again, I'd finger paint more and point the finger less. I would do less correcting And I would do more connecting. I'd take my eyes off my watch and watch with my eyes. I would care to know less and know to care more. I'd take more hikes and I'd fly more kites. I'd stop playing serious and I'd seriously play. I would run through more fields and I would gaze at more stars. I'd do more hugging and I'd do less tugging. I would be firm less often and I would affirm much more. I'd build self-esteem first and the house later.
I teach less about love of power and more about the power of love. As I told you, my children are older. Maybe yours are too. 37, 35, 33, they're pretty much on their own. I still love them. My wife and I pray for them every single night. But do you know what God has given us so that we can practice this now? Grandchildren! They get dropped at our house all the time. We get to spend time with them and the things we didn't do perhaps with our children, we can do with them. We're retired. And now we get to live that all over again. Perhaps... You'll enjoy the pleasure that I did when my grandson was 10 years old and put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, Grandpap, I want you to baptize me. And I took him down to the river and we baptized him there. Your grandchildren are so important. And I hope you love them with the same love you love your children. They are your children. To help raise in the goodness of the Lord. Thanks, living. We need to concentrate on teaching and modeling the power of love. And to behold by faith which cannot be seen. There's an oak tree in the acorn. Do you believe that? Planted in the ground, and the seed actually dies. But there in the ground, that dead seed, seed somehow starts to come to life and reaching up towards the sun. Our children are that seed reaching up towards the sun, S-O-N, The light of God's glory can shine upon them if we believe and take the Scriptures seriously. We're waiting for the seed to germinate and to grow. Making God, thanking God for the final outcome. It's called the tree of righteousness, which is surely the planting of the Lord. Now we're almost done. What to say to the Lord when He instructs us to pray without ceasing? Let me suggest this. Pray without ceasing is a command, by the way. It's not a suggestion. But if you're going to pray without ceasing, you need to make thank you so much part of that prayer that you're saying it almost continuously. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for your Son, my Savior. Thank you for sending Him from heaven to earth to die on the cross for me. And everybody that I know that puts my, their faith in you, Lord, will be saved just as your word suggests it is true. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you for my children. Never stop thanking God. And you'll never run out of things to give God praise and prayer to. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us. We often forget. We often don't remember how blessed we are. How the favor of the Lord is upon us. How we are sealed until the day of our redemption. And we pray right now, Heavenly Father, that you will give us that understanding, forge it, press it into our lives, so that thanks living becomes a daily life. What we do and the way we live proves our thankfulness. And we give you praise for what you're going to do because we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing a closing song.